welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's ready to book a one way trip to Thailand. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Hey, man. Like, look, if I ever got fired from my job and they also handed me millions of dollars and told me I did not have somewhere to report on Monday, like I would probably go to a beautiful island with delicious food and uh, luscious vibes for, you know, an indeterminate amount of time as well. I I place no blame on Cliff Kingsbury. I'm sure when, you know, um, he gets announced as Texas's new wide receiver coach. Uh, he'll come back from. I'm kidding, of course, uh, from Thailand. But uh, enjoy it, Cliff. You, you. I'm sure with your trajectory of failing upwards, we'll come back from Thailand and, and realize you've been named the commissioner of the NFL. The the actual. You're right about the failing up. Like the actual <laughs> career trajectory for him is like. Alabama, maybe Georgia, right? Like that, like for his like failing upward, like he was an average, average fired college football coach and got hired to coach an NFL franchise. Like failing up is just absolutely um, incredible. So I don't know if I, I haven't told you this, Kyle, but before we jump in, I wanted to say a quick thank you to all of our listeners. We got the final tallies oh, yeah. from last year and we were named the top, we were in the top five of all of SB Nation's college football podcast. So we want to thank you all for being part of this awesome family. We've been doing this for, uh, what, five, six seasons now, and you all are the reason why uh, Kyle and I get to do this each and every week. So I want to say thank you for that and letting us uh, come and talk nonsense for a couple of hours each week. Top five in college sports podcasts, those dang Duke uh, basketball podcast if you could find a way to tank them uh, our listeners who are good at the technology no i'm kidding um no it's uh it's it was it's a flattering honor um we know that we say a lot of things and and you know sometimes you respond to our tweets and sometimes you send us a message on on facebook and the occasional uh email to our gmail so we know a couple of you are out there listening but uh, the numbers turn out that there's there's um like like never nudes, there are literally uh, tens of you. So no, um, <laughs> it does mean a lot, honestly, to to Gerald and I. Um, we do this because you know it's fun for us, but you know we we do it because people want to hear it and and you listen to it. And if we had zero listeners, we might still just sit around and talk, uh, but we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't speak it into mics. And so we do this show because of you. So thanks. It, it really, truly, honestly means a lot it does and that's how the podcast started was kyle and i were talking to each other we said let's see how this goes and so we're here now three football coaches later the number five college sports podcast on all of sb nation it's like the number one and two are usually the, like the two best teams in the country like michigan got a bunch of hype this year yeah. so it's just it is what it is but we're not here to talk about our numbers we're here <laughs> to talk about texas basketball both men's and women doing numbers on the hardwood undefeated week 
on the hardwood for the Longhorns. Uh, big matches uh, matchups coming up this week, though. We'll also down the 40. Uh, all of the teams that generally carry Texas to its uh, Director's Cup uh, championships are starting their seasons officially now. So uh, we had last week, if you missed it, we had Brent on to talk about the Director's Cup. Go back and listen to it. Texas in a strong position for a three Pete will be well, shorter be well this week because not as many guys were playing this weekend in the NFL. We'll obviously close the show out with some Godzilla Tron and we'll down the 40. So it was a big week on the hardwood for the Longwoods. Number seven, men's basketball uh, rallies in two different games, playing big second halves to get a two uh, get a two step of wins over TCU, seventy nine to seventy five, and then a seventy two to seventy nail biter over Texas Tech. Overcame a combined thirty point deficits in these <laughs> matchups. Absolutely incredible second half performance from Coach Terry. You can flip it one of two ways, like what's going on in the first halves or what's <laughs> going on in the second halves, and we're going to focus on the positives here. Uh, Texas is doing the dang thing uh, in crunch time and getting it done when it needs to, which is something that we haven't really had to say earlier this season or hadn't really been able to say in seasons past. Yeah, I'm curious if they could try the orange slices in pregame instead of just at halftime. I, I don't know what it is uh, or if, you know, they, they just they're gracious. They don't want people to feel bad about themselves, so they keep it close. Uh, it, it is the inverse of the football team uh, where they, they start out slow and just seem to, you know, come on strong. They basically put Jabari Rice in, in the second half, let him let him cook and uh, hit all the free throws, and that seems to work. So I guess they have a formula. Um, takes you a while to figure out your exact rotation, and maybe Texas is just power up as the game goes on. But uh, we'll start with TCU. Again, that one was the 18-point uh, deficit. They outscored TCU 50-33 to in the second half, which is crazy if you recall back um, to the end of last year where TCU had a crazy giant comeback to to beat Texas. Um, but, you know, so, so Texas equaled the score there through um, kind of four big performances. Timmy Allen led the team with 17 points, five rebounds, two steals. Jabari Rice, all 15 of his points in this one were in the second half to go with six boards. Uh, and Dylan Dessou had uh, 14 season high, 12 of those in the second half. So um, Dessou was three blocks and seven or seven shooting, just did kind of everything right, especially in the second half. And Carr, as he's been, was good. Uh, 11 points, seven assists to just one turnover and five rebounds. Didn't have to score all the time, got some other guys involved. But um, that TCU team is good. Like, they are legitimately good. And there were long stretches of the game where they looked like, ooh, this is an Elite Eight kind of level team, uh, Final Four maybe team if some things go their way. Um, and they looked like the better team for a good chunk of that game uh, in the first half pretty much. Uh, but to Texas's credit, they they – didn't give up. And, you know, I don't know if that's always been the case, right? A, a really good team gets up on Texas and maybe that's just football bleeding over into my memory, but it does feel like that fight back hasn't always been there, at least to this level. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what the difference is. I couldn't tell you what it is, but um, seeing them, like, I think part of it is, is the second halves of, of Jabari Rice in the last two games, right? What is it? A combined 30 second half points in two games is a massive number, right? And I, I don't know if it's a slow start for him or like it's a it's go time for him. I'm not sure what it is, but something's and, – and maybe if he clicks in the first half and he doesn't quite have the second half for Texas and things go the other way, right? We could look at it. Or he could click in both halves and go off for 30 a <laughs> night. And there, there is something to be said about it. I think I – think, Potentially part of the struggle for Texas is Tyrese Hunter's 
lack of presence over the last couple of games. Like I'm not sure what has been going on with him or where he's at, uh, but Texas is going to need him down. We've talked about part of the reason why Marcus Carr has been able to play like he has this season is because it hasn't really had to be the trigger man for the offense. He hasn't really had to be the point man for the offense like he was a year ago. And so getting him back to play, because he was playing really well early in the season. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what has happened at the start <clears throat> of conference play. Maybe it's people know him from last year as, you know, he was at Iowa State here year ago so or I'm not sure what it is but that's that's a, something to watch especially as Texas looks to potentially finish strong and you know they I think they got the latest bracketology put them on the two line so like there is, there are some high expectations still for this team uh even with all of the turmoil that they've been through so far so I think getting him back up and running has to be a top priority for this coaching staff yeah, I agree completely. But right now, I mean, it, it looks like there are there is a three man group that's carrying this team with with Carr against Texas Tech scoring 20, 15 of those in the second half. Uh, Rice scoring 18, 15, like Gerald said, of those in the second half. Uh, Rice had four assists, two blocks, two steals in that one. He also, I think, had 86 pump fakes uh, against Texas Tech. Those those poor, 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 poor players. I, I mean, Mark Adams got on the plane, but clearly their tape uh, didn't um, because they fell for it every time, including uh, they tried to to sneak in, which is hard to do with a seven-footer, uh, Fardaz Amak, who, who was their big offseason recruit and has been hurt all year, and they just didn't say anything, and he just showed up and played his first game of the season, which, you know, can throw a, a wrench in a team's plans, and maybe that had something to do with Tech's first half lead. Um, but what... what <laughs> A Mac who hadn't practiced until like Thursday before this game. Uh, it came out later. What he clearly didn't practice was not jumping for for <laughs> Rice's pump fake, which legitimately his shot fake is the best in, in college basketball. I'm I am I am confident. Like I have not. I watch a decent amount of basketball and I have not seen one as good. So I just I mean I love it. And then and again, Allen had 17 uh, for the second straight game, and Disu had five blocks in 19 minutes. Right when you're getting that kind of really efficient play uh, from Dylan Disu in short-term minutes when you're getting, you know, Timmy Allen looking like Timmy Allen when Carr is doing Carr things, when Rice is playing like, you know, one of the best players in the conference, um, then you could, you could wait for Hunter to come back because he is. And, and I think in the, in the TCU game, though, he didn't score a lot. He had six assists and one turnover. So that's fine if he's going to be your ball handler, initiator, and other guys are going to score. It just has to be that you have to balance it out a little bit. He's going to be on the court as long as he's not cramping late in the game. Uh, he's going to be on the court. And so you want all the guys who are on the court in, in crunch time to, to be threats to score the ball as well as, you know, whip it around. So it's just that. And, and uh, it feels like Hunter's defense is also – his focus on the defensive end has coincided a little bit with the coaching change. And we talked about our defense – Taking a bit of a step back the past eight games as Terry's taken over. He's seven and one in those games, by the way. Not bad. Um, but it, it does feel like Tyrese Hunter, in addition to not having his shot, hasn't been quite as good on the defensive end, it, it being the spear of the attack. And so I wonder if there's some simpatico there, right? When the shots aren't falling, you're a little less locked in on the defensive end. Some guys go the other way, right? Uh, I feel like Brock Cunningham, if he misses 20 shots, he's going to go try to get 20 steals on the other end. Some guys are just wired that way. But, you know, you you wonder if it'll all kind of click here. Um, And uh, as I look at the schedule, there's a pretty big uh, road opponent coming up that that Tyrese Hunter might just uh, feel froggy about letting it all click uh, as they play Iowa State in their next one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still feel okay about this team because I think there's still a level to be unlocked. I think there's still, you know, a Christian Bishop uh, game or or three. There's still a there's going to be a Hunter game uh, or few. You know, there's there's still some guys who are who can have 
bigger performances. I, I do think they have a good rhythm and a good team right now. They're they're seven deep and, and really strong. We still haven't had a Dylan Mitchell 20-point game that we know eventually is going to just happen because he's, he's such an athletic specimen. So I feel good. And it's wild that we haven't said Timmy Allen's name thus far in this conversation. Like the guy put up 34 in, in two games and was really a big chunk of the Texas offense early yep. in the, the win over Texas Tech. Part of the reason why Texas was even in the game against Texas Tech was was his offense. And so I think uh, we have to say, even if we don't talk about him a lot, 34 points in two games is a big, big yeah. week for Timmy Allen. Timmy Buckets, very glad to have you. Texas improved to 4-1 and one in conference in 7-1 and one under uh, interim head coach Rodney Terry. Uh, for his efforts, uh, Jabari Rice was named the Big 12 Newcomer of the Week, and he will travel with the Horns and Coach Terry to Ames to take on the number 12, the Iowa State Cyclones, on Tuesday. The Big 12, murderer's row of conference play. Keeping it with hoops, switch it over to the ladies. We said it on this very podcast on numerous occasions that we weren't too worried about the early season struggles because Vic Schaefer teams start to build in conference play and then peak in March. And lo and behold, unranked, formerly, artist formerly known as unranked Texas women's basketball, now creeping into the top 25, came away with back-to-back wins over number 23, Kansas 72-59, to putting the boots to them. And then on Saturday, did it again, 68-53 to over number 15, Iowa State. I think the most impressive thing there is how they absolutely shut down the Cyclones offense. Like the Cyclones are a freaking machine and yeah. Texas just threw a wrench in all the works. Yeah, I mean they, they come in averaging almost 80 points a game, 79 points per game and uh, they held them to 53, right? That's that's uh that's almost 30 points below their season average. You're doing something, right? They they have won their last two ranked games. And if you remember back, they lost the one before that when they gave up 86 points, which is not how Vic Schaefer wants to play basketball. So how do you respond to that? Oh, you just get two ranked wins where you hold them under 60 points. Texas, 12-0 and 0 when they hold opponents under 60 points. Um, Vic knows what his team has to do to win. They just have to buy in and believe it and do it and execute it, right? And that's why we always say Vic teams get better as the year go on. When you lock in, you play the defense, the big games, the crucial moments. Once you have that muscle memory, you lean on some of those defensive instincts. You lean uh, on just executing kind of the not too crazy flashy offense but just efficient offense and you let uh, your playmakers play and that has served Vic well for a lot of years and it, it's, you know, in Getting a win over Iowa State, I think Texas and Iowa State were, were picked one and two in this conference this year, so that's that's a big win. Um, there's just two ranked wins, and and when you zoom out even further, Texas quietly has now won ten of their last eleven, right? And and again, that one was a bad one with, with the loss. It was kind of a, a weird outlier, but they uh, you know they they have um, they've been good for a while here, and and you know March is is getting closer on the calendar, and it feels like uh, you're seeing some some March level basketball from the horns. I mean, they're, they're peaking, right? Or they're, and they're not even probably peaking. I think they probably got uh, a higher peak to climb, but seeing them play like this and continue to just absolutely brutalize really good teams, this bodes well for what the, the goals of the season were. We were curious what was going to happen with the weird injury situations where, you know, Rory Harmon was injured early and now Texas is dealing with injuries uh, before the pre-conference play still. So like it was, we were concerned, right? The core of the team is banged up and seeing, you know, Deanna Gaston step up, seeing Shea Gonzalez, Sonia Morris, uh, Amina Muhammad, all of these, all of these players stepping up and really mm-hmm. pe- taking on the load. Um, 
this is what good coaching does. And I think it, it, it shows you that the even with the elite level parts that Texas has in this women's basketball team that Vic Schaefer has assembled, like the sum of the parts is is greater than the individual pieces even, which is nuts to say because this has been an elite recruiting squad, but somehow even six, seven, eight lady on the bench have been putting in work. Gerald, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little a little tease here for for something I will uh, answer later in the show, but I'll give you the question now, and the same for our listeners, so you can think about it for the next I don't know 90 minutes. I'm kidding; it won't be that long till we get to my bang the drum. Gerald, just think about to yourself how many minutes the Longhorns women basketball team has trailed in their last seven home games. So we'll leave that. Let the Jeopardy music play in the background. You don't have to answer it now. We can let it marinate because I'm gonna be talking a little bit about this. Am I banging the drum? We don't have the copyright for that, Kyle, so we won't play the Jeopardy theme, but we'll come back to it <laughs> at the end of the show. That's what they call a tease in the business. Little tease, little teaser, appetizer. So now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. We got to start with the number one Texas women's tennis team. Shout out to Rick on Twitter, our <laughs> tennis baggage handler, the, the NIL the sponsor of the Texas tennis team. Number one <laughs> women's tennis opens dual match play. The number one women's tennis opens the dual match play season at the Miami Invitational that featured number three NC State, host number 11 Miami, and number 20 Vanderbilt. Texas posted 22 victories this weekend. Massive win for the ladies. Uh, and again, this is just the start, I think, of what could be a special season on the on the hard surface for Texas. Yeah, I, I think you know, uh, coming home uh, next weekend, they'll they'll have some good matches coming up. But I, I think a great start. Like when I saw number three NC State, number eleven Miami, number twenty Vanderbilt, I said, "We'll we'll see how you know how much better the number one team is than some really good teams." And Texas, you know, averaging more than seven wins a day, uh, you don't you don't get to play in limited matches, right? They're they're, they're winning some 80% uh, of their matches over three days um, look significantly better than all the other teams uh, who were there who were very good. And I think that that bodes well with, with you know, when, when you lose a talent like Peyton Stearns last year's uh, most outstanding player, you know, soon to be a, a name you know on the pro circuit who's already doing things there since she's left the 40 acres, you, you could have forgiven a little bit of a, of a step back. Um, for a, a reigning national champion that had to replace just a you know a, a once in a every couple decades type talent, if that right. Uh, so really, su- not surprised. Really excited uh, to see that this team is is uh, as good as advertised. I mean, I think they're going to continue to to cruise. And again, this is a team that has a, a shot at being our header image. This is a team that has a shot at mm. being a national champion this year if they play up to the level of the the athletes that they've added this is an elite level team and so another elite level team potentially not as not quite as elite as recent history but still has an opportunity to do it number eight men's tennis opens their season uh with a with with a win over number 13 florida in gainesville texas took the devil's point and then took uh four of the six singles points three of the ranked players won the only one dropping it was micah braswell on the weekend next up for the men They'll be hosting UTSA on Friday and Georgia on Sunday. Going to the pool, another national championship contender for Texas. Uh, Number two, men swimming and diving split 
the dual meet with number 14 Alabama and then fell to number 13 Ohio State. But the ladies, also number two in the country, took the sweep. So it looks like the men probably are settled in at number two and the ladies probably need to jump to number one after beating number six and number five in uh, consecutive days. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Joe. Well, that's absolutely ridiculous. What are these numbers? Two. I don't I don't recognize that. Uh, if the men need to prove it, that's fine. Women are number one. Rank them, you cowards. Rank them higher, you <laughs> cowards. Indoor track, potentially low-key uh, low key, low key uh, contender for my favorite season for the men. The Texas men and women went to the Cardinal Classic, a uh, invitational meet that featured Cincinnati, Louisville, and Miami as uh, among the field of eight. The Texas men took six events, including the 4 by 4 the 60-meter, the 400-meter, the 800-meter, the 1600-meter, and the long jump. The ladies took four events, including the 4 by 4 the 60-meter, the 200-meter, and the 800-meter. Uh, Gerald, your boy, Jonathan Jones, took the 400. I expect to be saying Bajan. that quite often this season. Uh, Bayesians stand up. Uh, and Julian Alford, I mean, you know she's going to win events when she runs them. She will win them. That's what she does. She's real fast. One of the fastest human beings uh, alive. So um, I like it. I like this season is going to be a fun one. There's going to be some good uh, There's some good times posted all around the country already. So uh, we'll be good as we get to Big 12s and then Nationals. But uh, long season to go indoor and then outdoor. So we're just the beginning of the fast stuff. Fun times indeed. Next up for track, they're heading to Albuquerque, New Mexico uh, for the Dr. MLK Jr. Invitational hosted by New Mexico State. A little bit of football news this week. Texas got not one, not two, but three. Defensive players announcing that they will be returning for the 2023 season. Headlined by Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year snub Jalen Ford <laughs> announced his return. It was There were questions whether or not he was going to test his toes, dip his toes in the NFL draft. He could potentially leave, but it seems like he wants to play another year in Austin. Potentially less dramatically, although... Still impactful. Uh, Jaron Thompson and Jade Barron also announced their returns to it. Uh, Jaron Thompson led the Big 12 in pass breakups simply by virtue of not being able to catch the football. Jade Barron <laughs> finished the year number four on tackles and potentially is one of the best open field tacklers we've seen in that secondary in like six years. Yeah, since the the true DBU years, Gerald. Two things here. Um, first of all, I, uh, I I love this. You should announce all the time. When I come back from a long weekend or a vacation, I will uh, send out a Instagram post to my my company that I am returning to office uh, when I take my OOO off. I think kids should should rake it in. Always announce that you're coming back every year, even if you're a freshman or even if you're not eligible for the draft. Still announce it. Get get those Instagram likes. Uh, rake in a little bit of clout. Uh, I'm kidding mostly, but um, Thompson and, and Johnny Barron are both great. I expect to see both of them take a big step up and truly be, you know, high level draftable next year if they have the seasons that uh, that we imagine for them. Um, it's a really good defensive backfield, and we'll, we'll talk about this. We have a long time to talk football, but just thinking about all uh, those two guys back with the, uh, you know, adding in Catalan, adding in the uh, the, the Vanderbilt cornerback, uh, some some young guys in, in Gilbo and Brooks who took a lot of snaps. Um, getting better and taking a step up. We, we have, you know, Watts. I think it, there's a lot in that room, uh, but I don't want to overshadow Jalen Ford coming back instantly. Like that's like 10 poll places uh, in the preseason, you know, poll, whether that's from 25 to 15 or, 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 you know, 
more likely from like 19 to nine or something crazy when they, they, they get all of our hearts ready to be broken again. But the, he's, he's that good. So um, big deal. Excited to hear all of those. Was hoping for all of those to be the case. And um, always always like the good surprises. Yeah, massive surprise. And again, we, we said it preseason. We just needed the defense to, to not suck. We didn't need them to be outright good. And they ended up being like number 11, I think, in points per drive or number 11 in adjusted uh, efficiency. I don't remember. It, it, they, were, they were a good to elite defense depending yeah. on the spot, really. If you look at like... The, the games that Texas lost, all but one of them were really on the offense. The, other, the, one, the only one that I would blame on the defense is probably Texas Tech when you look at like points per drive and, and efficiency rating splits. Yep. It, it was an elite unit, and obviously losing Keandre Coburn and losing uh, DeMarvin Overshone, losing Deshaun Jameson, like Anthony Cook, those are those are losses to, to be sure, but bringing back Jalen Ford, bringing back Trevondre Sweat, bringing back all of these other guys, this this could be a... They played championship-level defense on numerous... They played better defense against TCU than all, but basically like one team this year <laughs> outside of Georgia. I don't think anybody played the TCU, uh, TCU offense that well. So um, they could be a really, really elite difference-making unit. Speaking of difference-makers for Texas, Kelvin Banks, freshman, offensive tackle, earned his third All-American honors this week, making him, I think he's the most decorated freshman offensive lineman Texas has seen in in any time that I can remember. And I've been watching Texas football for like 20-ish years now. And and there and there is like a time when freshmen didn't get to start for the varsity team at UT. So there's probably a window of, I don't know, 25 years before we were really watching and, and when freshmen could play where there could even be a possibility. So uh, hit us up. If you're one of those fans either who loves just to, to scour through the uh, the media guide each year when it comes out or you're uh, like our um, Burn Orange Nation colleague and, and, uh, and podcast guest Jonathan Wells and just a true historian of the team, let us know if there is someone in that time frame. But... I really don't think so. I don't think that there has ever been a freshman offensive lineman as decorated. Um, and, I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> after the past decade we've had, I can say it's warranted. I mean, he looks different. He looks good. He he is, gosh, it's nice to have just a, something guaranteed at that left tackle spot. It, and he is a unicorn. Like, I don't think – there are very few five-star linemen that could come in and play like this. Like, this is a unicorn lightning in a bottle, once-in-a-generation kind of situation where, like, again, there is a reason why TCU was really good this year, and it wasn't just the fact that Max Duggan played his best football of his career. It's the fact that they were, like, 40 years old across – the offensive line, right? They they had third career offensive linemen playing for them uh, at this point. Guys, are, they were accountants, then they played football, now they're going to go back into finance, right? Like, th there is, th it is an aberration for an 18-year-old to be able to come in and dominate Will Anderson, like, kept Will Anderson out of the backfield, kept potential, like, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year out of the backfield. I mean, I'm just saying, I, that that guy was awfully quiet, the, the game that they played Texas. I think and, he and had one tackle. The, again. <laughs> the whole game that I remember. Awfully quiet. Awfully <laughs> quiet for some elite pass rushers against him. And, again, that is not a normal thing to happen. All right, Gerald, let's keep it burnt orange with some burnt orange lenses. We are talking Longhorns in the NFL. We're talking – Playoffs. A lot of uh, a lot of Longhorn on Longhorn violence this week. You know, uh, two Longhorns or 
sometimes more entered and, and one left, which which is sad, right? You don't want to see it. Um, we'll start with, I think, the saddest game of the week for me personally, for my boy Justin Tucker, uh, even though he's hurt, Devin DuVernay, uh, and, and the rest of the Longhorn uh, Raven Nation. Um, Joseph Osai, though, got a playoff win after the Bengals run last year. He was injured and couldn't be a part of. He's he's a legit like piece on that defense. He had a uh, pass breakup at the line, a, a quarterback uh, hurry, a tackle, just uh, got some pressures, made some plays. Tucker was one for one on his field goal. Um, but I think the Ravens, would miss say they miss Duvernay almost as much as Lamar Jackson. If they have Lamar Jackson, he probably doesn't fumble for the 99-yard fumble return that was the difference entirely in the game. Uh, but also, on the Hail Mary play at the end, uh, it was James Prochet III, uh, who's in there for Duvernay, who dropped. Hail Mary got tipped to the back, and he was there. It hit him in the hands uh, and dropped the game-tying touchdown. So, you know, if that's Duvernay. Probably an all-time highlight play. But, uh, you know, neither here nor there. Congrats to Joseph Osai uh, for moving moving on. And then, and Gerald, tell us how we should feel about this one. The Chargers had themselves a game, and they lost. It's not Cameron Dicker's fault. I mean, he didn't give up, what, 40 basically second-half points, right? Like, there's not any – like, would that field goal have made a difference? Yes. But was it the difference maker in the game? No, right? Like the offense going dry in the second half or the defense just forgetting how to tackle or cover or do anything of substance in the second half. Like when was the last time that somebody threw four touchdowns and or four interceptions and won a playoff game? Yeah. I couldn't tell you. I don't know if it's ever happened. I'm not a stats and info guy, but it's probably probably a few and far between. Yeah, it uh, yeah. Not not many times. Maybe maybe again. Go back to that era of like the seventies, uh, <laughs> like Jake the Snake Plumber. I don't know. Um, here's the thing, uh, Dicker. It's not like he went one for two and he missed it, or zero oh for one and he missed his one. He went three for four. He had he had a fifty yarder. Um, earlier that same week, he was named the AFC Special Teams Player of the Month. So there are some angry tweets at Dicker, and I hate it. Um, Leave Dicker alone. He's he's a gem. Um, when the for a happier note, when the Chargers announced his uh, his special teams player of the month, they posted a, sh- uh, a picture of him with I believe it's a nephew, um, and he's celebrating outside the game with him. And I think he's taken his his shirt off to give to him. Uh, but either way, Dicker is shirtless and celebrating and looks himself like a child in the face. Um, <laughs> but it's just an amazing photo. Like I just love Cameron Dicker. So I hate that this uh, this happened. I hate that. Uh, four first half interceptions was was not enough to to take down the Trevor Lawrence. I don't hate Trevor Lawrence either. I mean, I I, I wish Dicker would have won, but good for good for Trevor Lawrence and good for uh, all the people who who like to see Urban Meyer sad. Um, all I'm saying is if if the Chargers do decide to move on from Cameron Dicker, Dallas might be in the market for a kicker. I'm just saying. <laughs> we are recording this Monday night, and I think Dallas kicker has missed three extra points already. So by the to time date, they've missed three extra points to date. <laughs> By the time this post, that could be number could be up to five or six. I don't know. Um, Gerald, speaking of just tough ones, your your boys uh, without Brandon Jones, who's who's out this year, but still with Connor Williams playing, lost a close one to the Bills. Also without Tua, um, no one expected this to be close, and then it was, and then it was extra heartbreaking. I feel like the last twelve years of Texas Longhorn fandom should have prepared me for being. <laughs> extremely frustrated for a game that I felt like at kickoff would not have been competitive at all. But like the simple fact that like Josh Allen played his worst football of the year and it was winnable and you couldn't get a freaking fourth down play call in on time. Like young, young offensive coaches showing their behinds uh, on, on uh, wildcard weekend. Frustrating for me, 
I mean, I still think Tua should just quit, just leave, leave the franchise. Like they don't care about you. Like get out of here, dude. Yeah. They're trying, they're trying to scramble your egg, man. Just get out of here. Get out of here. It's fine. Do something different. Oh man. Big ups to Connor hate- Williams though. Played every snap at center. Finally found his position and played really, really well this year. Legitimately, I, I love it. I love a long career ahead for for Mr. Connor Williams. Um, now on some Longhorn on Longhorn violence uh, again with the Giants, you have. Uh, Colin Johnson, who's out for the year, but his replacement effectively, or a, a, a later season ad, Marcus Johnson is on that Giants team. Didn't have any catches in this one, played some special teams. Um, but they fell to, or excuse me, they felled, uh, I should say, uh, the Vikings. That's Chris Boyd and Jordan Hicks's uh, Vikings. Um, Hicks did lead all tacklers with eight tackles in this game, but it was not enough as the Giants move on. In the final Longhorn-related game, this is the, the 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 big one. A lot of Longhorns in this one. Chuck Omena, who's 49ers, beat the – I mean, we'll just say the Longhorn Seahawks. There's a lot of them. Um, <laughs> it, it was tough. Uh, Chuck himself had a game, had himself a heck of a game. Three tackles, two sacks, one tackle for loss, one uh, QBH. Uh, Quandary the Giant, five tackles. Dixon did his thing, four punts for about 50 average, one inside the 20, but it was not – uh, enough, your, your boy Puna and uh, Quandary the Giant and Dixon will be watching the rest of this one um, from the couches. All right, we'll keep going. We have some Longhorns advancing on to the next round, so we will keep covering uh, the NFL playoffs through the lens of the Longhorns playing in them. Hopefully we can get another Longhorn to the Super Bowl. Um, guys who might be future uh, NFL players but uh, won't be necessarily doing it um, as Texas grads, uh, there were three, four uh, portal news uh, bits this week. Uh, the probably the largest of those, uh, Ovia Gufu, we announced last week, was in the portal has uh, found a destination. He's at LSU. JD Coffee lands at San Diego State. Logan Parr landing at SMU, and then Ish Ibrahim officially entering the portal. Gerald, what are your thoughts on any of those? Uh, I think it's wild to see that OV went from Notre Dame to Texas to LSU. Like what, a, what a three school run, like big ups to him for that. Um, glad to see JD coffee and Logan Parr land. Logan Parr ends up at the, the Texas Longhorn transfer finishing school. So I'm very happy for him. Ish Ibrahim is a guy who I am very sad to see go. Not from like a, like he very much needs like a change of scenery and he has mm-hmm. been a knucklehead since he got here. He's had a couple of legal run-ins but like as a as a prospect i was cheering for him if you know uh, much about his story he was like he would work overnights at the amazon distribution center in dallas and then come to school and then go to practice and then go home and eat and then go back to work and so he's a kid that i was really cheering for and hoping uh that he can make the most of this opportunity and he very much uh did not and so i'm sad to see him go i really hope he lands somewhere on his feet he's a very very talented kid um and again could use football to better his familiar situation uh, and i hope he, i very much hope he does yeah we'll be keeping an eye on that and see where he lands and, and certainly be rooting for him. Uh, a player who landed uh, in the Texas class, Gerald, I believe the first player uh, of the 2024 class, um, first or second, uh, is three-star quarterback Trey Owens. Um, tough to follow Quinn Ewers and then Arch Manning in, in the next class, um, but but I like the man who has the confidence to, to do it. Uh I think as we recorded this on Tuesday, it was it was rumored it, it broke right after we uh, recorded. But uh, Trey Owens out of, out of the Houston area finding his way to the quarterback room on the Forty Acres. Commitment number three, actually, for the uh, the twenty twenty four class. But I don't want to say anything bad about this kid because, like, 
how 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 big of a set do you have to have to come in and say I'm going to follow Arch Manning and presumably Texas is going to go after another five star in 25. So like yeah. this is the sandwich kid, um, but he's like he is competitive. He's a really good quarterback. He won uh, MVP of a camp this weekend, which OU fans will tell you is the most important thing in the world. So like he's clearly a very good quarterback. I mean the guy rocks armbands on his calves and a backwards trucker hat. Like he's going to come out and at least try to slang the thing, and he's going to yeah. be a fan favorite. I think. Like he's already a favorite of mine just because he's, he's just, I don't know. He's just funny. It's just funny. But like the kid can ball, like the kid can ball. He's not a slouch. There's a reason why Milwee and Sark took him early. I think he's a guy that yeah. would end up at a place like Iowa state or, uh, you know, end up at a place like Kansas state and really be a pain in the side for a year. So uh, I'm glad he's going to be in burnt orange. And even if he is just wearing a headset, holding a clipboard, like he's a guy who's going to come in and raise the, raise the, raise the tide in that quarterback room. And, and I'm glad to see it. I don't know if it's a rational confidence. I, ho- I hope it's not. But uh, Nick Young, one of my all-time favorite NBA players. Like, I just love a guy who just goes out there and, like, LeBron's on your team. He's like, no, 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 I got this. I'm shooting. Like, I just love a guy who thinks that he's the best player no matter what the stats actually say. And, and Trey Owens has phenomenal stats. District MVPs, put up thousands of yards in high school. Like, I'm not discounting him. I'm just saying I love a guy who comes in with that quarterback room. It's like, no, 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 it's me. I'm going to be the quarterback. And I... Uh, I'm rooting for him. Um, Taking it to the hardwood. In the NBA, there's a tale of two stories here. Miles Turner is on the rise. He's uh, been a little nicked up, but come back from injury strong in 2023, averaging 19.5 points per game, 8.5 rebounds, 3.5 blocks per game, just looking like the the player that either is trying to get um, an NBA championship caliber team to to go after him at the the trade deadline uh, or a a guy who's going to try to take the Pacers on a late season run, but he's looking uh, fit and... And, and looking like the real deal. And then on the other end, Kevin Durant went out for two weeks with an M- MCL sprain. But the silver lining, he is currently, um, right now, the all-star teams are basically set up in the Durant and LeBron categories. And uh, fittingly, he is leading the Durant team uh, <laughs> side of the ballot in in all-star votes. Uh, LeBron has a few more. Um, but, uh, hey, you're second uh, in the league in all-star voting. That, that counts for something. So, Katie, uh, as long as he comes back healthy, we'll get to uh, be the captain of his own all-star. This is what they do. This is what the NBA does, and I think it's exciting for him. And, and seeing Texas players uh, show out and ball out is always good to see. Speaking of Texas players showing out and balling out, women's basketball signee Madison Booker was selected to the 2023 McDonald's All-American Game. She's currently the number 12 recruit in the nation, number one from Mississippi. Vic, he may leave the state of Mississippi, but uh, recruits go with him. Um, I, I was excited to, to see that one. And then news that I think is just phenomenal um, because we try to watch the careers of Longhorns after they leave the 40 acres. That's easier to do when a player goes and plays, um, you know, in the NBA or the NFL. And, you know, it's somewhat easy to do if you if you take the time to, to set up your social media correctly. Like I've seen Logan Eggleston start her professional volleyball career and, and probably five or six of the volleyball players go internationally and begin their careers. Um, it's a little harder in some of the other sports. Um, and I was excited uh, when I saw a post come across my feed from Mary Iacopo, who is taking on a coaching role with Arizona State softball. Good to see her land somewhere. She's she's a um, very thoughtful athlete, a very um, 
sharp player and a very sharp mind, so I'm glad to see her land somewhere. She's also uh, unafraid to clap back, which I appreciate. <laughs> Absolutely. An incredible social media follow during her time in Texas. I don't think that stops. Not as many people come at her, so you don't get as many clapbacks, but I hope they, uh, you know, she, she has some in the tank still as a coach. Gerald, let's let's close out our final two segments here. Let's get to uh, the second to last with Godzillatron. And I like to do this about what are you watching this week. I want to start with what everyone should be watching if you're trying to go for the Longhorn Sweep. That's Tuesday, men's basketball at Iowa State. Wednesday, women's basketball at Tech. Friday, uh, men's tennis hosting UTSA Women's Women's tennis hosting uh, North Texas Saturday track at the MLK Invitational and men's basketball at West Virginia and Sunday women's basketball at Baylor. So besides the aforementioned, Gerald, what are you watching on your giant screen? Uh, so it's been a bit of a, a bounce around for me. Uh, I, I did some traveling this last week, so I had some some plane streaming to do. I watched the new HBO show Velma. And um, it sucked a lot. I don't know how else to say it. Like, it was not good. I was very excited for this. Uh, Mindy Kaling is is usually pretty funny, and I, I like what she does. And I think this, this is going to sound weird, but I think the show was so smart it forgot to be funny. Is the, mm. is the only way. Like, it was too meta. It was too self-referential. It, too, doing too much analysis of horror movies and horror shows and modern plots and all of that. And it just wasn't funny, which is what you need to do to do all those things well, right? You have to be smart and funny. It's, it's, unless you're going to do a drama, and that's fine, right? Like, it is what it is. But um, So I didn't enjoy it. I felt like it... it the only way I can describe it, if you like the Harley Quinn TV show on HBO, it was a bad version of that. Like, the worst Harley Quinn episodes were probably better than what I watched of Velma, so I will not be returning for episodes three through whatever of that. The first two sucked enough. Um, my wife and I started Reboot on Hulu, if you haven't watched it. It is a another, like, meta thing about show business, but uh, it is about an old, like, 80s or 90s sitcom that was very wholesome uh, being rebooted oh, yeah. as a... Um, as a grittier, not grittier, but kind of a more modern look like the, this it's, it's a, it was the, the nineties sitcom was like about a stepdad who comes in and the, 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 the original dad is still living in the house. And the, the new plot twist is that the new dad has uh, a side family and it's very, it's about the production of the show. It's got uh, Keegan, Michael key, Johnny Knoxville, uh, Judy Greer. If you're a, a, a veteran sitcom or you probably know Judy Greer's name, she arrested development. She was on a lot of other sitcoms as a, as a kind of a uh, supporting role, but it is, uh, it is very blue. If that's not your thing, don't check it out, but it's very funny. I enjoyed it. Uh, and then I am I am just like leaning into my nerdiness right now. I uh, just finished off season one of the Dungeons and Daddies podcast. It sounds very uh, risque, and they make this joke, and it's the reason why they did it. It's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, and, and all the characters are dads, and the whole quest of the show is them. Their sons get kidnapped, and they're they're trying to to get their sons back. It's fun. It's it has been weirdly emotional for me as a dad uh, because they deal with some parent trauma and things like that. Uh, some of the themes in the show. If you're into that sort of thing you'll enjoy it if you're not then like avoid it like the plague but i had a good time with it i just finished season one and i'm about to start season two if i yeah if i overlap with zero of the dad and and D diagram venn diagram i should probably not uh check yeah. it out you're saying okay fair enough you need, um, you need to hit you probably need to hit definitely dungeons and dragons and and dads is also helpful yeah, I mean, I feel like the becoming a father will happen before becoming a and d but that I, I'm not against it. I, I could see myself liking it. I've, I've found more uh, sci-fi stuff in the past five, ten years that I've liked than my whole life, so who knows? Um, Gerald, I had a gap in my in my watching that that 
I was made whole, or at least one third of whole. I think there's three currently out. Um, I missed it in in the beginning, and it's just one of those things you never get back to. And then I heard, um, major spoiler alert, cover your ears, um, there's dog violence in this first movie. And so I never went back to it because I, as evidenced by the movie, can watch one man shoot, I don't know, 130 Russian men in the head um, and feel nothing. But one dog being violenced upon was like, I had to pause it. Um, but that's right. If, if you have seen this movie, you understand I'm talking uh, about John Wick. I'm not an advanced stats guy when it comes to my movies, but I do I do want to go search out John Wick's kills per minute. Um, his headshots per, per shot. It's got to be like 1.3. Um, it's ridiculous. Like, it's just absurd in the best possible way. It's like a perfect dumb action movie. Uh, I loved, I think, everything about it except the dog part. Again, it's like... The wife dying. Ah, it's it's sad, man. But the dog, not the dog, which you know is compounded. If you've seen, it. okay. Anyways, I'll just say we're excited. My wife loves action movies even more than me. Um, we're excited to watch John Wick's two and three. I believe there are yep. three out. Is that correct? Um, okay. So uh, we we I think they're all on HBO. So we will be binging uh, in the coming weeks and 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 get caught up on those. But uh, Gerald, Funny you'll be enough, happy to I'm know doing a John, I'm doing a John Wick rewatch currently. Funny enough. Really? <laughs> yeah, actively right now. Amazing. All right. Well, we'll be doing it together uh, again, my wife and I, for the first time. But uh, I love it. Uh, I now understand the the, the title of Shay Serrano's um, short-lived podcast with a pencil. Um, <laughs> and, uh, the other film that I watched, and my wife fell asleep about halfway through, but I was like, you know, sorry, I'm here. I'm, I'm going through with it. It's only my second watch of this, but I had forgotten just how good it was. Uh, I love the Grand Budapest Hotel, and I, I rewatched it. Um, she's like had said she had never really seen a ton of Wes Anderson. I think she'd seen Isle of Dogs uh, was her only Wes Anderson, which is, you know, animated. So um, this was her first full-fledged Wes Anderson. So she was a little like trying to feel it out. Um, I don't think it's a bad Wes Anderson to start with, um, but, you know, you have to like aesthetics. You have to like his aesthetic, and it's very, you know, every scene is a piece of art, and every, you know, like, character dialogue and choice is um, a little bit kitsch and a little bit, you know, like, it's it's Wes Anderson to uh, 11, and I love it, and I, I, I thought... Um, Voldemort was fantastic in in uh, the role. <laughs> uh, I think I've told the story in this podcast. My wife knows him from Made in Manhattan, and I was like, "Nope, that is Voldemort." And she Googled his name, and Made in Manhattan was higher on his Google search result of known for than uh, Voldemort in the Harry Potter movies. Anyways, that's an aside. But Grand Budapest Hotel, starring. Voldemort or the mayor from Maiden Manhattan um, is uh, is a is a fantastic hang. It's just like really easy and fun and like silly and funny and quirky. And if you like Wes Anderson at all and you haven't seen, it, I don't know what you're doing. If you don't know if you like Wes Anderson, uh, watch it. I, I, I'll be very curious to hear. Tweet at us. Let us know. But uh, I loved it. It was it was I couldn't turn it off even though my wife fell asleep. Like it's what it's wild to me that that one yeah Voldemort is probably his most like. Uh, notor like notable role outside of almost winning an Academy Award for Schindler's List, right? Like right he that, also did like that's another right. thing that Ralph Fiennes did. So yeah. like, we'll just we'll just put a put a pin in that. But uh, <laughs> I feel like and this I don't know if I could say this as a tech like a University of Texas grad. Like I just feel like I'm post West Anderson stage in my life at this point. Like that's fair. I have such limited movie time, and I love Wes Anderson films. Like um, 
the Life Aquatic was for several years running was one of my favorite films. Like I would just go back and rewatch it. It was so beautiful and like the father son dynamics things have always done a lot for me. But like I just I. I, I get tired really easily. I got three small children, man. It's it got to keep it moving to keep me interested. I, I get it. We uh, we actually were on HBO Max looking through movies, and his newer one, French Dispatch, um, came up as like suggested, and we watched the trailer, and I was like, I don't think that's your entry point into Wes Anderson. I don't <laughs> think that's you don't need late stage Wes to start, um, and so. It was like the first suggested was Grand Budapest, so we started uh, started there again. I'll let her finish it and decide if we will watch any more. But I totally respect your opinion. I, I I think it is if not an acquired taste, it's like a, you have to be in the mood for that taste. Very much so. But that brings us to the part of the show where we, where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics: Big Bertha, whether it be one or two, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? As we were coming onto the show, I was uh, as lost for a moment as Arch Manning's ID card um, about what direction I should take my bang the drum this week. Um, and I, I decided just before we recorded, I just don't have the energy to, to rant and rave about a Bryles. And so, TCU, uh, you're off the hook. Um, you're, you're really not. If you hire... Kendall Browse, you're you're a jerk like anyone else who's hired hired Kendall Browse um, the past few stops. But anyways, what I want to talk about is much happier and much more lovely. Um, Gerald, I don't know if you saw, but our hometown San Antonio Spurs uh, on the 13th set the NBA uh, all-time attendance record. They went back to the Dome. They've been hyping it up, uh, and I was curious how many people they would get. And they got 68,323. Now, it's a terrible seat if you're not in, like, the first... 20,000 of those um, in the Alamo <laughs> Dome. Um, but nonetheless, there was no curtain. It was wide open. It was uh, it was, it was was quite a game. And I had a couple friends who went, and they said it was just an awesome experience. They played the Warriors, so you got Pop and Steve Kerr. I mean, it was just it was fun. And it got me thinking about attendance and about fans in the games. And we also happened to have four really good basketball games in the mood um, this this week. And, and uh, it's a big deal. Like, Texas had two incredible come from behind wins on the men's side and it's coach speak to say like we wouldn't have won those if not for the fans but like it's also completely true that we would not have won those if not for the fans there was a palpable energy especially in that tcu game like there was a point where it was so loud and so rocking that like the the players couldn't help but accidentally feed off of it and and, and start putting the ball in the basket um the fans i think certainly willed that into existence um texas tech after what happened last year um seeing that be a true sea of orange and a true home crowd atmosphere and seeing the mood really be a thing that sways it has been incredible right texas is selling out every men's game and what I want to commend the fans and the folks who listen to this is we we implored uh, at the beginning of the season this this very thing, but we're we're also filling up and, and showing out for the women's game, which is incredible, right? Like we know Vic Schaefer builds elite eight plus teams, and he's getting that level of support. Um, this past game against Iowa State, sixty four. 6,405. They're trying to set records every week uh, at the mood. So y'all just show out for those games as well. Last year's attendance averages for the Texas women, 3,617. So it means something to be at the mood. Fans are coming out, waiting in lines. The men's game lines wrap uh, around city blocks for hours. It's it's really cool to see a basketball culture. Um, won't talk about what coaches aren't here anymore who helped establish that. I just want to talk about the fans who are being a part of it. And as promised, 
I teased it earlier. I will close with the answer to my question after Gerald answers it first. Gerald, how many minutes have the Longhorns women, uh, women's basketball team trailed in their last seven home games in front of those very rabid fans at the mood? So seven games, uh, Gerald. Oh, seven um, games. Sorry. I thought it was the last two games. Let me, re- let, me, let me jump back in on that one. 14. <laughs> I was going to say, it's seven games, Gerald. You are grossly overstating uh, this. The 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 Longhorns women's basketball team in the last seven home games have trailed for one minute and 57 oh seconds. Uh, you needed to go the other way, my friend. Uh, not even two full minutes, which is incredible. So I just, I saw that stat, was thinking about the uh, the attendance and thinking about the fans and the impact they have. Now, it takes really good teams to get the fans in. It takes really good teams to win these games. But like, you can't tell me that these teams aren't playing better, playing in the mood, having a home court advantage and having the Longhorn faithful be frenzied and fanatical. So kudos to all of you listening to this podcast who go out to the games. If you've been interested and you're in Austin, you might be in Austin, you're thinking about it, uh, try to get there. The men's games sell out, so go to a women's game. Go to both, but uh, it, it really seems like the place to be, and it's it's so awesome to see. I, I mean, for years and years, Texas was rightfully kind of slammed for not having a basketball home court uh, advantage, and part of it was the fact that they weren't playing in a basketball arena. They were playing in a concert venue that just happened to host basketball games, and so it just kind of sucked the air out of it, but it's just incredible to see Texas have a home court advantage, a, a difference making uh, home court crowd. The line was wrapped around the Moody Center for the men's game the last two games. Like, just been absolutely awesome to see the fan support, and like, it, it's just much deserved. And I think it, it, the if you're going to have the level of expectations that Texas fans do have for the basketball team, then this is the level of support that they need. And so it's just really, really great to see. I'm banging the drum this week on name, image, and likeness deals. If you're if you Keep up with that kind of stuff this week. Uh, Four Texas players got uh, some deals from a car dealership in the Austin area. You saw um, Justice Finkley get hooked up with a uh, with a with a athletic sports drink deal. You saw Hayden Connor somehow got a house or a down payment for a house or something. I don't know how that NIL deal worked, uh, but he also probably has an NIL deal with Blackstone and uh, some sort of pellet feeder. Cause that was the second picture he posted was him on the back porch with his grilling apparatus. So, um, but some of the players that one of the most notable players that we didn't really anticipate and I had been lobbying to get NIL deals, Kel- Kelvin Banks um, got the big truck, got the big GMC <laughs> body truck, uh, lifted truck and Justice Finkley was another one that got a deal from the, from the car dealership uh, in Austin. And so much of the NIL talk has been about Arch Manning and Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington's uh, you know teeth bleaching and all of these other <laughs> random NIL deals for skill players. And it's good to see that defensive players and players in the trenches who have really been the differentiator for Texas yeah. in this turnaround year, uh, getting that love and getting that shine. And it needs to continue. Like if – if Terminex of Pflugerville doesn't get one of these offensive linemen, if DJ Campbell isn't hawking for Terminex's home protection service, I protect your home. Terminex protects your home like I protect quarterback situation. Or if J- if Jalen Ford doesn't isn't out there sacking a termite that's going towards your house next year, like what are we doing? Right, like these guys are. Uh, it, it, this is what NAL is made for. Guys go and prove it on the field, and then local businesses get involved and kind of show them the value. So I'm really cool. I'm really excited to see this. Like this is this is kind of the upper end of what NIL was was created for. But I'm really glad to see that if NIL is going to be what it currently is, uh, then at least the guys that are that are in the trenches and the guys that don't normally get the recognition are finally getting some. We uh, we are clearly both uh, 
shaped in our brains by the golden era of San Antonio Spurs HEB commercials, the uh, epitome of ridiculous athlete commercials that have become in vogue now, but at the time were such a, a weird and amazing and incredible uh, phenomenon. If you like the Astros won the Houston market now, the Spurs were doing that about 15 years ago. Um, but yes, uh, I, I love it. Give all the NIL deals, get these uh, players all over. Like you kind of missed uh, the guy we call bug, uh, for the pest control as well. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's ideas here. And for your local, uh, Austin and and Texas businesses, if you need someone to write said commercial, you can email us at longhornpod at gmail.com, uh, or, or tweet at us. And, uh, Gerald and I, for a, a, small percentage of uh, the NIL deal will write the NIL commercials and uh, and partnerships with various athletes for you. That's all we got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? To tweet NIL deals or otherwise, uh, you can find me at Kyle Carpenter on Twitter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at Gmail dot com thank you so much for tuning in again this week we will be back next week probably in our normal spot we had to shift things around for some work stuff this week we'll be back next week and until then hook them hook them but seriously tcu you're dead to me if you hire me